This season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. Musicbed represents over 700 indie artists and composers with record label quality music for you to license. Also, check out musicbed.com for more information on their subscription service, giving you unlimited access for all your projects. As a good listener, you can get one month free off any subscription type. Just head to musicbed.com good and use coupon code good at checkout. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Licensed stock footage from world-class filmmakers. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com. Angel, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I um, oh, Thank you for having me, man. We've had some of your collaborators on, Kate Mindy, but um, I definitely would love to hear about the thing you guys just did, Charm City Kings and everything. But um, let me just figure, you know, for people who don't know who you are, people hearing about you for the first time, maybe the movie, maybe they haven't. Um, where did you grow up? Like, how did you get started directing? Yeah, well, I was uh, born... I am born and raised uh, in Puerto Rico, uh, from the city of Santurce in the capital. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, Puerto Rico doesn't have much uh, film education, so everything I pretty much learned learned it on my own and by experimenting. Um, I did study uh, architecture and um, and advertising, just to, you know, those were like the the second and third thing I kind of like resonated with me the most. Um, but my curiosity led me to start working as a PA in a TV station and, and kind of like just get my hands on the field and, and do whatever type of work uh, along the audiovisual uh, departments that was cap- uh, available for me at the time. And, and through that, that's how I was able to get more experience as I kept going on to producer and then director until I went on my own and started doing short films and music videos. Eventually, I, I got hired to do commercial work uh, in the island, which allowed me to practice a lot on the field and, and took some writing classes uh, by, by one of my mentors, uh, Rafi Mejavilla, who passed away a couple months ago. Um, and, and he, and through him was that I was able to write my first script, uh, La Granja, and which eventually led me to come to, to the U.S. And I stayed here ever since, experimented with VR a bit for like four years, building the VR department for Riot News. And in 2017, after Hurricane Maria, that's when I got the script for Charm City Kings. Mm. And... It resonated with me. I saw a lot of myself in the script, a lot of Puerto Rico in Baltimore. So I figured that was a, a good opportunity to tell my story, even if, if it was through, through an African-American kid in Baltimore. I've shot a little bit in Southwest Baltimore, but where did you guys shoot in Baltimore? Uh, West Baltimore. West Baltimore. Uh, mostly, yeah, West Baltimore, uh, Monroe. Uh, yeah, Monroe and... and I think it was Monroe and Lafayette. That's the area. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the thing that struck me the most about the film is your casting choices and, and kind of going off what you just, like it, it did seem like you were able to find these kids who were just really true, you know, like they didn't feel mm-hmm. super touched. You know, how did you, what was the process of finding these kids? Was it 
street casting? Did you go through an agency? You know, how did that happen? We did a little bit of everything. We first started by doing a city search. Uh, we had, um, I forgot the name of the casting director, but she was the casting director for Homicide uh, and for uh, The Wire. So we really went through her first uh, in order to get as close as we could to Baltimore. I really wanted to do that firsthand and give that opportunity. And and uh, I, a couple of months went by and we found amazing talent that we ended up ha casting for other roles. But when it came to the character of Mouse and the kids, uh, it really had more than being from there. Uh, it was more to capture the soul of Mouse, that innocence that you could see just from a blank stare. Um, if I find the character person, personal, this is a very personal way of doing casting. I, I I don't know how everybody else does it, but I I've been in La Granja and the short films before that my leads were always from the street or from the neighborhood so i we did searches every time on the neighborhood and you didn't need i didn't need to have them to be actors i just needed them to under under resting face i could see the character and i'll work with the rest here was different because it was a bigger movie uh, sony was backing it up economically will smith in the producer size and and barry jenkins on the writer so i had different stakes i couldn't go and do things the way I would naturally do it. Um, but that also allowed us to, you know what, if we couldn't find the soul of our character in Baltimore, that's not to say that there wasn't any talent in Baltimore, it's just that the character of Mouse was not there. And the character of Mouse needed to be more than just from one place. It needed to, I needed people from Puerto Rico who doesn't speak the language to feel identified with this character and still hold true to the elements that, that, that identify him as a person. Uh, or, or as a character that we want to believe. So by doing so, that's when we found a bunch of other kids, including kids from Baltimore, and we brought them to uh, a chemistry read. Now that was the, the second tier for me that mattered was I needed the relationship between the three kids to feel authentic. And that chemistry is very hard to get. I feel personally like you can act chemistry, but you can tell when they're acting chemistry. We were blown away when we saw these three kids interact as strangers. They had already so much stuff in common, um, whether it was through like, um, you know, uh, video game consoles or, or, or anything like that. They already had their own inside jokes. And we saw those characters play out, almost their personalities in front of us while we were doing the chemistry. So it was very easy for us to make the decision that we found the characters. Now it's just a matter for them to do their work and 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 bring Baltimore as much as they could to the picture. But as far as the journey of this coming of age story of Miles and his friends during one summer, we found it on those kids, and and it was it was impressive. I, I had never seen that before. That aha moment come before my eyes while watching kids read lines. But it was funny because in the middle of a joke, during the whole chemistry. Uh, we, I went and said like, okay, now say the lines. So as they were laughing, they were trying to say the lines and they kept like messing up, but feeding off each other's personalities in order to bring up uh, the personalities that we see on screen. And, and it was very beautiful to see. What, were you doing anything? Because they did seem like, they didn't seem like non-actors, right? But they felt true. And like, what, what uh -huh. were some of the techniques that you were doing on set in order to just 
you know, let them have that chemistry on camera? Was it, you know, sort of not calling action? Was it just kind of rolling when things were, were, were felt right to you? Like, how did you formulate that? Um, well, the good thing was that uh, the script uh, was already very authentic. Uh, Sherman Payne wrote dialogues that, that were very true to, to 14 year olds and um, very true to what just kids nowadays would be saying. But there was a scene where the discussion on the script had to do with ninjas versus samurai. But uh, Caleb Pinkett, the producer, overheard the kids having a similar discussion, similar intensity, but about gummy bears and and sour patch something. I don't know. And they were like, "No, they're gummies. I'm telling you, they're not gummies. Like they're, they're sour." And they had they were like in it, and we were like, "Yo, just have that discussion." And Mouse, when you get to this point, just break in and 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 carry on with the script. So it couldn't get more authentic than letting them have a discussion that they are passionate about, like as opposed to forcing them to feel passionate about uh, samurais and ninjas. Uh, they were very passionate about sour patch bears and gummy bears. I don't know. <laughs> For us, I was like, yes, that's it. So we did that constantly when it came to different topics and different conversations where he was rapping some stuff like, there was something written and he's like, I got something better because I'm funnier than this. And he's like, okay, then you're funnier. Then go ahead. And we, I, we allowed that to happen in order for them to embrace the dialogue and focus really on the marks that are, or this is the part that matters of this whole scene in terms of dialogue. Make sure we land here. And, uh, and they were, there's, I mean, I have to give credits to them because they were so, they are so professional. They're, they're actors for real. Like they really have the actor etiquette and everything. And they take it very seriously because they love what they do. So that really makes it easier when it comes from kids that are playing their age as well. Because as much as I would have loved to have, you know, um, older kids play younger because you have more liberties in terms of, uh, of shooting schedule and, and stuff that you can do or say, ride a bicycle without a helmet or, or whatever. Um, those were things that we knew we had to sacrifice in order to keep the sparkle in the eyes, that innocence that you will get from a kid that's 14 or 13. Yeah. You know, and we really wanted to, we wanted, we wanted them to talk that bullshit that you will talk in order to pretend to be uh, an adult without really knowing what it's like, you know, like sex. Like, I don't know what sex is like, but they want to have sex. So if when you don't know what you're talking about, there's this innocence that is just you cannot deny and we really wanted to keep that uh, as the core element of of the journey of our characters since their innocence is the one that breaks away at the end did you feel any added pressure with the sort of the way that the script came to you and the people attached to it and and this being sort of one of your earlier films like describe that pressure to me and and how you sort of <laughs> i know maybe it's it it's one of those things that you probably like if I could go back, I would do this, this, and that. But uh, <laughs> tell me about yeah. how you sort of to that pressure. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I would describe it as pressure, but it was more the 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 realization of the responsibility I had yeah. in my hand. Like, like you know, this is not a 
you know, this is not a a TV spot that nobody will care who did it. It could be cheesy or, or you know, this wasn't my money that I could do whatever. And you know, it was it it uh, definitely was a measuring process for me uh, in terms of of handling a lot of the 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 issues with with an understanding that this is not my show. You know, I'm directing somebody else's vision. I'm directing somebody else's love story to their city. Like this is Jada and Caleb's uh, love story to Baltimore. And and I'm and I'm like, you know what? There is that responsibility that comes with me. And also the fact that after leaving my island and leaving my family behind and coming to a foreign land that half of it doesn't want me here. And I'm like, you know, I really have to to show and 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 show the world that I'm that I'm good at what I do, that that leaving everything behind what wor- was worth it. Oh, I, a lot of us in Puerto Rico were also focused on like, well, he fucks up, it's done for us. You know, it's kind of like a lot of that pressure and responsibility came uh, came more for me like at the forefront than just doing a script for Barry Jenkins. Like that that was dope. That he wrote it and and I got his blessing and and that Jada and Will uh, were okay with me directing it, but now it's like, well, now I have to deliver. Like you're only as good as the last thing you do, and I I don't want this to be the last time I'll make a movie, and I don't want to let my my the people on my island down after giving such an opportunity that many covet. So I'm like, that was for me the main pressure. So I I didn't take it lightly going to set. I didn't take it lightly. Every day, uh, going to war with Kate and with Scott and with the whole and the kids and and the whole team, and be able to deliver something that we believe was powerful enough to go into the festival circuit, for example. Like we were happy with that. So when the Sundance thing came up, I was like, "Oh fuck yeah, we made it to Sundance." That's dope. Then it was like, "Well, maybe you should get an award." I'm like, "Well, I mean, I wasn't thinking about going that far, but if it happens, well, God bless." And it did. And we were like, everything just came up, but it had to do for me with the pressure that we were all put on. This was Kate's also her first feature film in in within the Hollywood structure. Um, Scott Dugan had already done a, co- a couple work like with the Deuce and American Criminals, but uh, this was his first like studio thing also. So we were, we all knew that this was our calling card and we had to give 200% on it and we did and they were the best people I could have ever thought to work with even even Kevin uh, Kevin Rogers the stunt coordinator he had done a lot of stunts before but this was the first film he actually was in charge of the stunts so mm-hmm. a lot of us it was our first time doing something uh, so we really went off to make a home run how did you keep it simple like how did you not let it get away from you well, the one of the things that we we spent a lot of time in pre-production, and we knew that due to the tight schedule, I mean, shooting in Baltimore, it's a it, it comes with its own issues and problems. Uh, more how many day, how many days did you guys? Show? A total of forty. Forty. Um, we had right. yeah, we had thirty-seven of photography, and then we had additional three. Uh, for insurance pickups and and scenes that we we couldn't do, 
given, you know, because, you know, Baltimore, as special as it is, as charming as it is, it's also a complicated place to shoot infrastructurally. If you want to shoot outside, there's, you know, we had a gas leak in the middle of the road. Like, those are stuff that we couldn't control, so we had to do additional photography. But um, the the good thing, I feel, was that it forced us, for example, I wasn't aware. This was my first time realizing that when you're working with kids, you're not working with kids 12 hours. Right. And <laughs> isn't, yeah, like for, oh, like for me, that was a rookie, 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 very rookie uh, way of thinking. In Puerto Rico, because in Puerto Rico, we were shooting for passion and it is a job for families. And, you know, we went the mile and when the kid was like, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm like, okay, then we're done. <laughs> but here, uh, we re I realized for the first time that I had nine hours to shoot with them. Yeah. But it wasn't nine hours. It was five because right. three were for school and one for lunch. So realizing that we only have five hours to shoot with kids who were almost virtually in every frame of the movie, um, that brought up a challenge that forced us to be economic in the way we're going to shoot. Now, coming from La Granja and from Puerto Rico, not having a lot of resources, you have to get creative. And for me, what is global lighting and wonders is kind of like a resource I usually go to, not because it's a cool thing to do, but it's because if I start changing camera angles and changing right. lights, I would would have never been able to do anything. Um, so knowing those things and shooting as much as we could natural, even if we have to create natural looks, um, allowed us to be very economical and uh, pre uh, take advantage of of the blocking and the staging in order to create uh, dynamic scenes that wouldn't rely on over the shoulder, over the shoulder, over the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, dude, I can't imagine, dude. Because we've all experienced <laughs> it on commercial spots, you know, like where there's a character commercial is, okay, I'm only going to have, I mean, I, I remember shooting with a, new, a newborn baby for the first time earlier this year. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have 20 minutes. Like they're only going to give me 20 minutes with this baby. On <laughs> and I was like, is this, is this, does everybody do this? It's just California. <laughs> How does this work? But it's, it's wild, man. I, I forgot. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. That's yeah in, La Granja, in La Granja, I had a, a wonder of a woman giving birth. So <laughs> everything looks like she's pushing, pushing the camera leaves. And when it comes back, there's a switch to a newborn baby all right. like jellied up. And, yeah. um, and we only had three takes. We only could do three takes. And, um, and that was without, I'm sure my AD was like, you only like, it's 20 minutes that we can have this baby. Yeah. We shot it like we could have him all day, but we really only had 20 minutes to do right. three takes. So, because they were going to kick us out of prenatal uh, of the hospital. So it's like, I, it is, it is scary, but, and it is hard. Definitely it is complicated. Those are, there are factors that you don't take into consideration or that I wouldn't take into consideration, but I was, I wouldn't, I can't say this enough. I was blessed by having such talented kids and professional kids that they were the least of my problems into mm -hmm. getting stuff on points, to getting everything on time. Like they were on point every single day. And because we knew exactly how we were gonna shoot it, we could rehearse while 
rehearsing, staging, and blocking, and then we can we didn't have to shoot more than five takes. And we could just move on, move on, move on, because we already knew what we were going to do, and we already knew that we were against the clock. This season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. We had the chance to sit down with their CEO, Daniel McCarthy, to talk about why Musicbed exists and how they're helping creatives further their craft. We felt like there was all these indie filmmakers and a ton of indie musicians and they needed each other. Um, Like we all know, like the best films are a marriage between the moving picture and music. I view it as an ongoing ecosystem that continues to, you know, increase the value of art. It continues to allow artists to support other artists. Thanks again to Musicbed for sponsoring this season of Good. As a good listener, you can get one month subscription free if you go to musicbed.com slash good. This season of Good is also sponsored by Film Supply. Here's their CEO, Daniel McCarthy, again on what makes Film Supply the best stock footage resource for films. The footage being licensed is the footage coming out of passion projects from filmmakers, and, and it's because it is the most authentic cinematic and it's the it's all the stuff that all the filmmakers have put all their blood sweat and tears into and it shows like you look at a clip and you're like oh my gosh that's a motive i want to use that the guys that just go out there and shoot a day for stock like that's not who we are i mean that's not what we're about like we're about helping filmmakers fund passion projects and seeing the footage from these passion projects actually get used in commercial ways Thanks again to Film Supply for sponsoring this season of Good. With Film Supply, you can license stock footage from world-class filmmakers like El Ginter, Diego Contreras, Masio Frost, and more. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com. You said you had a lot of time in pre-production. What were the things that you kind of focused on as far as in that time that you had? Well, um... Kate, Kate Arismendi has been in my radar for a while. Like I've been following her work and her sensibility, and I knew that uh, on a script that could have easily steered to a very testosterone, uh, Fast and the Furious vibes, um, knowing that you know the budget and the schedule wouldn't allow anything s- similar to Fast and the Furious, except for that chasing. Right. Um, we, we, I really wanted to focus on the sensibilities and and this the 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 heart of the character. I wanted to see the emotion of the character through the lens and and through the score. But everything else on paper and the actors is just like you know it is what it is. Um, Mouse was also like yeah he is such an empath that he definitely carries that sensibility with him as he goes. But when we came together uh, and I wanted. Kate to be the one that carries sensibility forward and go into Baltimore like seven or eight weeks prior to shooting. Uh, we, beyond visiting every set, we really went on to how do we want to shoot that scene? And we were blocking and staging while we were doing location scouts. So when we came back to, to the office, we spent every week, every evening, every afternoon, uh, shot listing everything and those scenes that you know like the the stunt where he falls or um the shooting at the at the liquor store we had those storyboarded to the t because they were heavy on vfx and, and 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 whatnot so for us that was very important to have it all to the t beyond us being prepared 
we really had to show the producers who were more seasoned that we knew what we were doing. Like we were not just kids playing around because it could have been easily seen like kids playing around because we love what we do. So we're always having fun. We enjoy what we do too much. Uh, But we, at the same time, we're very serious about making this our presentation card and making it what it ended up becoming. But um, but every day we were doing the shot list, making sure everything looks fine, doing the whole game plan over and over until we were ready. So we didn't have freedom. We didn't have freedom to go and fish for scenes and, oh, let's fill out the scene and let me, no, no, no. We, we, we didn't have the liberty, not just in terms of budget and schedule, but also producers were not going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the one thing I asked when you mentioned the chase scene was, you know, there's always something that I find like I think it's going to go one and then we get there and it, there's always something very simple that for a reason it doesn't work out or something like that. Were there, do you have a story of, of something that happened on set that just was planned out to the T and then sort of had the shift and then kind of made the film better in a way? Does, does that make sense? I think you kind of said it yeah. a little bit with the conversations with the kids, but did you kind of roll with those punches a little bit more and, and, do you have an example of that? Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, the chasing, we uh, so we had designed the chasing prior to the day that we shot the the chasing, and because of schedule conflicts and 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 the incident with with the gas leak, um, the chasing for for a moment there, it felt like it wasn't going to happen. Mm. Uh, until we were able to get the the insurance money to go back a couple months later, and uh, I, that's when we were able to do the chasing the way I wanted to do the chasing. Right. If we if we had done it back then, it probably would have been a little bit half-assed. Right. Because the the day it was super cold when we were gonna shoot that scene, um, it was it, it rained, so the fear of having black eyes uh, was definitely a safety concern. So we were blessed with a gas leak <laughs> on the set. And the other one was the, the scene where they beat Derek, uh, the kid that steals the bike. Um, that was meant to happen in a back alley of a, I don't know, like a shop shop. Um, but it snowed that day. So we had to move the whole scene into into interiors. So that place where we shot that, it that was like that big space. Then he had another little space. That little space was where we shot the selling of the quad at the beginning of the movie. So we knew there was a bigger space. So when it started snowing, I was like, there's a huge space, we'll, we'll make something up. Luckily, uh it turned out to be way better than the alley scene for sure it gave a different mood and it worked out very very well were you guys trying to like design the the feature to look like a certain part of baltimore or just like baltimore in general like was there something that really brought your eye when you were location scouting yeah 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 yeah. definitely for us the here's where like the architecture part kicked in uh i I, I felt that West Baltimore's row houses and their stairs and yeah. everything communicated something differently than the the architecture of East Baltimore and the way the stairs show in 
And um, so we we did a couple of things on East Baltimore, but the thick of it, which is in West Baltimore, uh, helped a lot to tell the story more than just a background, but also inform, uh, you know, where the product that our characters are from. Um, aside from that, uh, it allows us also to kind of like map out a geography that even though it wasn't like that, the twist and turns that you would have to take to go to each house or each right. location geographically, whether you notice it or not, makes sense. So you don't feel lost in the city and the city feels kind of like tight and close and accessible. And in order to do that, I feel more comfortable basing it off on the different type of architectures that you could see if you go like north on, on, uh, on West Baltimore or south on West Baltimore, the architecture changes. If you go deeper right. into Monroe, it changes. If you go deeper into Lafayette, it changes. And understanding that that curve that comes in from the field, ah, that place, so that's an iconic spot and branching it from there, those were the classes on urbanism put into practice in yeah. terms of spatial awareness of, of the location that we were at. But, um, but I, I, I'll say this, Baltimore, the city, the infrastructure could be a complicated and and somewhat um, difficult place to shoot because of how it's been left uh, uh, for dead, pretty much. Like uh, the city and the government don't care, so it's brittle in terms of its structure. But the people were dope, and we had the blessing of of, of working with um, with Willie Wayne. Who is the godfather of the 12, 12 o'clock boys? We we had the the honor of working with Pug and Coco, who are the main characters also of the documentary in which is based. And the Midnight Click and everybody popping wheelies that you see on the film, all of them are local Baltimore crews. They were for the 12 o'clock boys, they were in the documentary. So we had the community involved and become a part. Of, of the celebration that the film intends to do, which helped us to to feel more welcome in terms of the expectations that people have of Baltimore City. Yeah, yeah. There's something crazy when we when you have like the community sort of in cahoots with you. Like you get a lot more access, I'm sure. To uh... mm -hmm. that, definitely, definitely. Yeah. We spend every every Sunday ride with with them. Um, you know, we had them ride new bikes. We had them yeah. have their fun. We let them do their thing. Like those tricks, th that wasn't anybody telling them, uh, right, right. do this trick here. No, no, it's like, you do the thing that you want the whole <laughs> world to see right. and you can brag about. Like yeah. we want you guys to show up and, and, and letting them be free in their element as opposed to criminalizing their art gave them a breath, a, a breath of fresh air that uh, allowed them, allowed us to be in unison in making the best film possible. Right. What were the things that you were referencing going into pre-production? Like, what were you watching <laughs> during this time? Uh, I was watching a lot of um, 1960s uh, Cuban films, like... Uh, Memories of Underdevelopment and I Am Cuba. Um, I Am Cuba. So we watched good. so good. And, and, you know, for me, that's the, 
the master work of Warner's, probably the best yeah. Warner ever done is in that film. And the fact that it was done in the 60s with with whatever resources you had at the time in Cuba and the size of those cameras, what they were able to achieve was impressive. And it was more of a of a way of showing like, we're good guys. Yeah. If they were able to do this complexity in that time, the, the things that I'm proposing are not crazy at all. Right. So just see this and feel feel like, ah, okay, we're good. And that was like the whole idea is <laughs> like, trust me, what we're going to do is not as complicated as this. And this is amazing. And then the other part is being able to, the way how intimate the camera feels in memories of other development and, and, and how nuanced it moved into being close on him and then finding a creative way to show his POV without cutting to a POV and stuff like that in order of like in, in informing what I might lack uh, explaining because English is not my first language. I can at least tell you how I would explain it. And I usually repeat myself in like 20 different ways, mm -hmm. just in case one of right. those didn't land, another one will. Uh, but with being able to show uh, the film and show them examples of, of, of what I mean helped a lot. And uh, and also, I think in terms of the urgency and 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 pace of different moments, uh, a prophet was a big um, uh, example for us as well in terms of of camera work. Um, at one point, we wanted I, I wanted to shoot it in film, and I said if they let us shoot it in film, it's gonna have it's gonna look like a prophet. Um, but if not, then I want all the toys, and I want to be able to yeah. do whatever I want. Uh, and they were like, uh, no film. I'm like, okay, then I need all the toys. <laughs> That's a good negotiation. <laughs> yeah. So it's either or. Like, I can do it on film and we can go handheld, the whole thing. I don't mind. I don't care. It's going to be dope. But if not, I want to be able to use the Technocrane, the Edge Arm, the e-bikes. I want to shoot on Steadicam. Everything that I wasn't able to use back home, I want to be able to use it. Right, right. Were you guys, I mean, was that the case? Were you able to sort of play around with different tools that you wanted to, to use? Yeah, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was actually very, very fun as well. Using the techno cranes through the balconies, um, being able to have uh, Stewie, the, the Steadicam operator, um, have him on set doing the main camera and, um, and, and, and have his expertise also played out doing those long wanners like inside the house, which was a very tight road house and how we could do the whole scene through it. Um, that was very important in order to see their, you know, where our characters live. And also in the, in the Sunday ride scene, I wanted to replicate my first experience going to a ride uh, mm -hmm. without being too on the nose, like, hey, let me show you how I went through. So by being intimate with mouse uh that that's kind of like from memories of under development like you can be with him he's looking at something and then we just drift and the drift is natural but in that drift i'm giving you the first hand experience of how i saw the sunday right for the first time you know like all that stuff like that and just the euphoria and the noise and the cacophony and everything the excitement and then we land back on him 
like yeah. nothing happened. And that for me, that naturality of events uh, is what I really wanted to hone in. Yeah, dude, that that variation of a POV is is one of my favorites. Like when you, because you said it earlier, it's not a POV, it's but it but it is. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Treating it as the same sort of reveal. Yeah, I, I love that part when I when I saw that. I think that's yeah. When uh, he sees the bikes, when he walks into the shop and he goes and looks at the bikes, we walk in and then we land on him. Like, like for me, that's a see like you don't have to cut and and it's it's more personal, more yeah. intimate. And uh, and and these sort of movies, or at least when it comes into like bikes and engines and gas and sweat, they they tend. I don't feel intimacy in a lot of those movies, and 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 maybe maybe that's from from where I come from. Maybe that's the sensibility that I bring to something because of you know being in an island in Puerto Rico, a colony, and the suffering and whatnot. I, that sensibility, I want to transmit it in, in the pricks that I do and, uh, and allows me to almost feel like I'm holding the hand of the main character throughout the film. Yeah. Early, you said that this was sort of your, you know, your attempt or your sort of, you're hoping to be the calling card for your career in a way, like the start to a... Well, def definitely. I think that it always, you know, it stayed on me. My, my manager, Jairo Alvarado, um, when I when I presented my first film, La Granja, he was the first one to reach out even before it premiered because he saw it on a virtual screening, and uh, and he's always said the importance of of the next thing you do because you're in this industry you're or you're as, you're as good as the last thing you did, so that always stayed on me, and like I, I need to do something good, period. If if because if, if La Granja was good and what I did was shit, then people are going to remind remember me for the last one I did, not for La Granja. And I'm like, that that I felt that pressure also with myself. Um, and, and being able to do something that has had, you know, an appeal and that people have responded positively has opened the doors for me to explore different genres. Like the, the, the lack of, of, of resources, um, and, and the lack of seeing yourself doing other than almost forced me to believe that the only thing I was able or capable of doing were dramas. Um, and here with Charm City Kings, especially like with that chasing and the stunts and, and even with the dog and, 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 and the comedy with the kids and, and the, the little love relationship that you saw there and, and the, the emotional breakdown and up to the hopeful ending um, all those were things that I never thought I was going to be able to tackle mm -hmm. based on the circumstances I was born in. So being able to see that I was able to do them and do them with, you know, satisfactory. Um, that's when I was like, oh, shit, maybe, you know, I can see myself doing a bigger action piece of something or mm -hmm. I can see myself doing something. Uh, with a more rom-com comedic tone or things that I would, that I often out of fear kept myself away. Now I feel like, wow, if, if this is, is the right team, right? Like having the right DP, the right producers, the right production designer, the right VSFX people working together. Uh, everything is possible as long as I connect with it. Right. That's the thing that I, that is more important. I, I need to connect with it, whether it is in the message or the subtext. Um, if I can connect 
I I I think I am capable of doing it. And uh and I and that fear has has left. Like I can't wait to do something in space. I can't wait to do something like crazy like that because I'm like I can do it. Like my fear broke with that chasing. Right. Like literally doing that chasing was probably the scariest thing I've ever put myself out there to do. And and having it come out successfully, thanks to Shelly Johnson as well. He he was the DP for that scene. Um and me directing it with him because Kate was doing Dune, you know, right. props for her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they stay there. Yeah, you stay there doing Dune. Don't don't mind us. We'll do we'll do fine. Uh, yeah. But you know, working with Shirley Johnson, who's a season action uh, DP, and having him also uh, uh, respect the the visual language that we created and try to create intimacy through a Shay scene. Um, I felt like you know what sure give me more we'll plan properly and i'll deliver and it just gave me more confidence to tackle different things yeah i don't want to i don't want to get you know obviously there's things that you want to make in the future things you know projects that are on your mind and stuff but um without giving too much away is there something you're looking forward to is there something coming up that maybe charm city kings is sort of has come out of charm city kings you know um that are on the horizon um yeah, I'll, I'll, directing-wise, yes, definitely Charm City Kings has opened a lot of doors that I have never fathomed. Um, uh, some doors that I cannot talk yet. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's safe to say that the effects of Charm City King, the effects of that labor of love from everybody involved, from from the grips, the medics, the the... The, the the catering service to to the security guards that kept us safe uh locals from baltimore mvp uh, um to everybody up to hbo max uh and production and dps and, and producers they have they have allowed me to to be considered to do projects that uh, i have I, I would have never fathomed i would be talking to people that I've considered heroes of this industry that I have admired since I was little uh, and having conversations with those, uh, not just producers or directors, but IPs that I thought I would never tap into that when they ask you, have you ever dreamed of doing this? I'm like, I didn't even know I could dream about that. Um, like seriously, I thought that dream was right. denied for me or any kid from Puerto Rico. And being able to to tap into that has been very overwhelming, overwhelming and humbling experience. Um, so yeah, with that said, there's a couple of things brewing up that I'm looking forward to yell to the whole world out of excitement. But that right now it's a uh, we are on, on writing stages of other projects that hopefully they get materialized. COVID changed a lot of things. Definitely a lot of stuff that were tempted to begin uh, in in spring have been pushed indefinitely. So I don't feel comfortable mentioning those either because who knows what's going to happen. But the good thing is that ideas have been developed, uh, relationships have been formed, and hopefully you know this 2021 comes with a lot of work 
Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much. That's for the coming. most diplomatic thing I <laughs> could tell you, man. <laughs> Don't forget, this season of Good is sponsored by Musicbed. Go to musicbed.com to check out over 700 indie artists and composers with record label quality music. And remember, as a good listener, you can get one month free off any subscription type. Just head to musicbed.com good and use coupon code good at checkout. This season of good is also sponsored by Film Supply, licensed stock footage from world-class filmmakers. And do not forget to take advantage of features like shoots and scenes, craft an entire narrative with extensive collections featuring the same talent and settings. Plus, if you're short on time, they have free footage research available to help you find exactly what you need. Learn more at filmsupply.com.